0: You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. Brothers and sisters, a sweet day. Um, For the Christian, Resurrection Sunday is one of the best days of the year. We say... Sunday is the best day of the week, and Resurrection Sunday is one of the best days of the year because if Christ died and stayed dead, we are a people, as you heard earlier, and even it was prayed in our prayer time before service, that we are a people who would be hopeless. If Christ died and stayed dead, we would be hopeless. There would be no reason for joy in this incredibly dark world, but this day declares that He didn't stay dead. That's what this day declares, that He has risen, And he is reigning over our lives. And in his resurrection, we have so much on this day to celebrate. When Jesus was resurrected and raised to new life to reign over our lives, an eternal hope and an enduring joy was resurrected with him. An an eternal hope and an enduring joy was resurrected with him. And so with that said, it is a joy to gather with you on this Resurrection Sunday. If you would please open your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Not only is this Resurrection Sunday, but in the life of our church, this day marks two years in existence as Mission City Fellowship. Two years ago. Yeah, praise the Lord. This is an evidence of his kindness to us. Many churches do church gatherings don't last for a year. And so we celebrated one year and now we celebrate two years by his grace. However long the lampstand of this little church body will will burn. May it burn brightly and hot for the glory of Christ. However long that is. Amen. Oh, my. Uh, So two years ago on this day, on Easter or Resurrection Sunday, we gathered for the first time, for our first public worship service. Prior to that, we were gathering in a park just down the road here, teaching, praying, singing together. And then on Easter Sunday, or Resurrection Sunday, we gathered publicly for the first time, first worship service, and there was a big 25, 30 people in the room, and we sang our hearts out that Sunday. So sweet. So sweet. On that Sunday, we we saw out of the resurrection the effects of the resurrection in First Peter chapter one, verses three through five. And I thought it would be fitting to return to that passage today, but expand it a bit, expand it. As our church has grown, let's take in more of that passage, because in verses three through five, they're actually connected to verses six through nine in chapter one. And in fact, it's in the original language, it's one long sentence. And in this one long sentence, we have what we see is an eternal hope through the resurrection of Jesus in verses three through five. And then in the second half, in verses six through nine, it's this enduring joy through the resurrection of Jesus. And so my hope is that as we we once again open up this passage and gaze upon the glory of Christ and who he is and what he's done in this passage and what it means for us today in our hope and joy that our affections would be stirred that our hope would be rejuvenated, that our joy would be full, that our faith would be strengthened, and that our affections for Christ would be, would be incredibly great. So with that, let's pray, and then we will turn to the word. Lord, we come on this incredible day, Lord, every Sunday, as was already said, every Sunday is a celebration. Every Sunday, Lord, we bask in your goodness and your, your glory and your grace, Lord. But this Sunday is, is special. Lord, where we remember and recall what happened on this day, Lord, when it seemed as if all hope was lost, it seemed as if death and sin had won. Oh, Lord, in a world that was dark, and it seemed that dark would continu- darkness would continue to reign, on this morning, the light of Christ burst forth at that empty tomb. And we are so glad. Lord, Forgive us for when we forget how glorious the resurrection is. Forgive us for when we live like Jesus is still dead. Forgive us and help us to see the benefits of the resurrection. What you have accomplished through that day affects this day. Awaken our hearts, grow our understanding, deepen our roots in this truth and do your good work in us and through us today. In Jesus' name we pray, and the church says, amen. Amen. Follow along in your Bibles as we read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the death to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse six, in this you rejoice, though now, Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We live in a world filled with people who are longing for two things hope. And joy. People spend their lives chasing after hope and joy, putting their hope and joy in money, possessions, jobs, health, or even other people. Only to find that the things that they put their hope and joy in will fail, break, fade away, or even die. This world is a sin-broken world, and because it is a sin-broken world, it's filled with failing hopes and joys. It's filled with pain and loss and sorrow and suffering and even death. In so many ways, this, this world really can seem like a hopeless and joyless place, and there's nowhere else in the world that will make you more aware of that than at a funeral. This past week, I attended A funeral of a friend that had passed away at a young age from cancer. He was a husband, a dad, a young grandpa, and a Christian. They had a, a slideshow showing picture after picture of him enjoying life, pictures of him fishing and Hiking and hunting, sitting with his wife and friends, healthy and happy, enjoying life. But there came a point in his life when he could no longer do those things. It's interesting. You're watching the slideshow on this side and then there he lays. The cancer left him lying in a bed as a mere shadow of himself. For him, there was real grief. To to no longer be able to do the things that you once could do, there is a grieving of the the painful realities of the sin-broken world that we live in that even affects our bodies. So there was a real grief. Yet for this man, I got to hear testimony after testimony of how his ultimate joy, And hope wasn't in the things pictured in the slideshow, the fishing and the hunting and the living life just on the run. And it just seemed, you know, just it, it was lots of joyful things. But his ultimate joy and hope were not in those things. His hope and joy went beyond the things of this world. And though there is real grief to no longer be able to do the things you once loved to do. A greater reality shine through this man in the midst of his dying days. A reality that for him, as a follower of Christ, his hope and joy were founded upon who Christ is and what Christ had done for him in his life, death, and resurrection. And that to close his eyes and breathe his last breath, meant to wake up to a glorious reality of eternity face to face with Jesus. The resurrection or resurrected life of Jesus reassured my friend, this Christian man, of his own resurrection life. And living his last days in that reality enabled my friend to have hope and joy that transcended his sorrows and incredibly hard trial, a hope and a joy that remained and went beyond the trial of his cancer and death. So much so, this was just so sweet. It was so much so that some of his last words were, I just want to go to sleep and see Jesus. Easter Or Resurrection Sunday is about that kind of hope and joy that transcends, that goes beyond, is greater than the trouble and the trials and even death itself that we may come face to face with as we live in this age. Resurrection Sunday is about that kind of hope and joy, an enduring joy resting upon an eternal hope rooted in who Jesus is and what he has done. And we need this kind of hope and joy as we live in a sin-broken world filled with trials and suffering and pain and loss and letdowns and sickness and fears and on and on, you fill in the blank. We need this transcendent hope and joy, a hope and joy that goes beyond our circumstances. A hope and a joy that goes beyond our experiences that perseveres through them and shines gloriously in the midst of the enduring joy, resting upon an eternal hope. And that is what Peter is going to show us in these verses. That we find that kind of hope and joy rooted in the person and work of Jesus alone. There is no other place to find it. No other place. It will fail you and break you. No other place to find it. And Peter's going to show us it's rooted in the person and work of Jesus in his life, death and resurrection. Just what that means for us. The Apostle Peter is writing this letter to Christians who are experiencing times of great trial. Times of great trial for being Christians what he would later call in his letter, sufferings, various trials and sufferings. And he's writing this letter to remind them of who they are in Christ, that that through the saving work of Christ, they are now God's beloved and precious people. And in being God's beloved and precious people, it is to fill us with hope and with joy that carries us through today's trials. If you are enduring Trials on this Resurrection Sunday, which I know many of us are. That's why it is so sweet to hear you sing. Because I know so many of you are experiencing trials. Trials in different forms and shapes and sizes and pains, different sufferings. But yet out of you, praise. It is the sweetest thing to sing with you. If we're gathering here this morning, as many of us are experiencing trials, may the word of God lift our eyes to the hope of heaven once again and fill our hearts with the joy of our salvation in the midst of our trials. Amen. So first, our eternal hope through Christ's resurrection, verses three through five. Our eternal hope through Christ's resurrection. Peter, from the start, at the beginning of verse 3, directs these weary Christians and ultimately us to praise. He begins with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, with an exclamation point. I love noticing things like that in the scripture. With an exclamation point. He's speaking to these suffering believers, going through trials, all sorts of trials, trouble. And yet the first words out of his mouth in verse three are blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He reminds them that there is reason to praise in the midst of trial. It's, it's lifting their eyes, lifting their eyes from their trial to look upon their God and see who he is and what he's done. And isn't that so otherworldly? That's not where we often look first when we experience trials, is it? But Peter tells us where to look, turn from your trial and look to God, for there are countless reasons to praise him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's this call to remember, remember him in all of his goodness, remember him in who he is, his character, his attributes and what he has done. And then speak it out, say it, share it, sing it, praise God, Peter says. Peter declares through this that there is much reason to praise God in the midst of your trials. And Peter shows us why. Why? In the following verses, why? How can we praise this God? What reasons do we have, Peter, to praise this God in the midst of our trials? What has God done? Verse three, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God has looked upon us in all of our filth, all of our inability to save ourselves from the power of sin and the punishment for our sin. And he has had a compassionate pity, a mercy upon us, undeserving. I just sat with a young man here this morning before people were show, We were setting up and he's just rehearsing how the Lord saved him and I turn and I see him as he just got quiet for a moment and there's just tears in his eyes and running down his cheeks recalling the great mercy he has received the undeserving man that he is and yet this God would look upon me with affection and call me and make me his that's where Peter's pointing us first we haven't deserved this we didn't earn it were filthy rags, and yet He would look upon us and call us His. Looked upon us with mercy, and through that mercy, He has given us new life through the resurrected life of Jesus. If Christ died and never rose again, we've said this, but we are a people who would still have no hope at all. We'd be stuck in our sin, enemies of God, and God opposing us deserving of the eternal punishment of God for our sin, and so even enduring present-day trials of a sin-broken world on our own, no God to help us, God opposing us. We would be stuck in our sin on our own, trying to fend for ourselves through life's trials, helpless and hopeless of any good of a future life. But when Christ rose to new life, In his resurrection, he secured for us a new life as well, filled with vibrant, living hope. Because through his death on the cross, he took upon himself the full wrath of God that we deserved for every single sin that we've committed, small or big in our eyes, all of it deserving of punishment. And on the cross, Jesus took it all, the full bearing, the full wrath of the punishment for our sins with no drop of punishment left for me to taste. And so instead of wrath, we receive mercy, Peter says. Instead of condemnation, we receive forgiveness. And instead of living in spiritual death, we are born again to a spiritual life. And his resurrection was the declaration of God's approval of Christ's sacrifice made for our sins on the cross. And it was this declaration of victory over sin and death. His resurrection revealed that he had now broken the grip of sin and death upon those who would believe in him. Those who would put their trust in him as their only hope for salvation. He would break the grip of sin and death. And though we still may die in this present age, because of Jesus's resurrected life, we have the hope of our own resurrected life. Oh, my. Death may come to us all, but for the Christian who has known the spiritual life of Christ, death doesn't win in the end, does it? There is a hope of our own resurrected life where we will dwell with Christ for eternity. Death doesn't have the final word upon the Christian life, does it? We don't have to be afraid because of that. We don't have to be afraid for what awaits us. And that's exactly what Peter assures these Christians of in verses four and five. Look at your Bibles. We'll go from three into four and five. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse four to an inheritance that is imperishable. Undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Precious saints, for the Christian, because of Christ's resurrection, we don't have to live afraid of trials. We don't have to live afraid of what's ahead of us. We don't have to live afraid of even death itself. For the Christian, we have a living hope that is an eternal hope that is filled with the full assurance and unshakable confidence in God and in his goodness to fulfill his every promise that what he said he will do, he will do. and What he promises, he will bring to completion. It's a living hope. It's not a some kind of... We often live with this hope of like, I hope it doesn't rain today. Right. Type thing. Right. Like just maybe there's so much guessing about it. There's so much uncertainty about it. Christian hope is Peter calls a living hope. The hope of the Bible, the hope. So the hope of the Christian is a confident assurance in God. In who he is and what he has done is doing and will do. That is a living hope. And it's an eternal hope that goes beyond this life, that looks to the eternal inheritance of life with Christ waiting for us on the other side of death's doorway. This inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So it will endure forever, it cannot be ruined, and it will never diminish in worth or glory splendor. We will inherit life eternal in the presence of our precious Savior forever. And you know what that life eternal looks like, what that inheritance that has been promised to us by God looks like? We will know, we will know His physical embrace. Precious saints, there are days where I am just praying and there are moments where just, Lord, I just can't wait to see you. I just can't wait to know your embrace, to see you face to face, and to feel, to feel you. Oh Lord, to to feel your hand as you wipe away every tear, to feel your touch, to feel your embrace, and to never know what it's like to leave it. I long for that day, and that's what we're looking towards. This physical embrace where we will know the sting of, of sin and death no more. No more sickness or fear of sickness, no more broken bodies and minds, no more broken hearts, no more tears of overwhelming sorrows, no more anxious hearts, no more sin brokenness, no more rejection and loss, no more cancer, no more of these various sufferings or trials. He will wipe away every tear and make all things new, and death itself will die. Oh my, what a glorious inheritance. And we will live in the joy of the presence of our Savior forever. That is the inheritance for the Christian in Christ. And Peter gives two incredible assurances for the Christian's heart In verse verses four through five in regards to this inheritance. First, that this eternal inheritance is being kept in heaven for you by God himself. God is keeping your inheritance of eternal life secure, ready to be given to you at the time he has appointed. What assurance is that? Your grip is weak. There was a point, I remember I, when I was still living at home with my parents and we had this water well issue and my dad said, hey, we're just going to fix it ourselves. And I had no idea what that meant. My dad's pretty rambunctious with stuff like that. And he, we go to this well and he begins to pull this pipe out and it's just never ending. And he says, all right, you start grabbing it too. And I'm trying to lift it with him. And then, and then he says, OK, you hold it. You hold it there. And it's like, I don't know, 40 feet of pipe or something. And he's like, I'm going to put my hands here. Don't drop it, okay? Don't drop it. It could could hurt me. And I'm holding it with everything I have. And eventually, I begin to realize, I can't hold this thing. It's slipping, Dad. It's slipping out of my grip. Move, move. It's slipping. And eventually, I drop this pipe. I can't hold it. I can't keep my grip upon it. Aren't you glad that you are not the one holding your eternal inheritance? Oh, my I am so aware of my own weakness and own inability. Those words of Peter are meant to rest assured on the heart of the Christian. You are weak and you are in living in trouble sometimes and you are experiencing sorrows and grief and all kinds of difficulties. Aren't you glad you aren't holding on to that in her inter- eternal inheritance? Aren't you glad you're not the one who has to keep it? He is keeping it. The God of the universe who never grows weary or faint or sleeps or tired, who never slumbers. As you lay your little weak heads down, there is one not resting, holding on, keeping your inheritance. Praise God. Oh, man. Oh, man. Praise God for that. Second assurance Peter gives them in verse 5. The same God who keeps our inheritance secure is keeping us secure in faith until that day comes. He is keeping, Peter used the word guarding, he is guarding our inheritance of eternal life, and he is keeping and guarding us for that inheritance. Praise God. Keeping and guarding. That is our God, precious saints. That's the one who's risen and reigning over your life keeping and guarding you through his resurrection. In one way, you could say, there's numerous things we could say. There's 50 reasons why he died in that book. You could say 50 reasons for the glorious resurrection. He was raised to new life so he could rule and reign and keep and guard you. These glorious promises of assurance for us in Christ. Because of his resurrected life, he is risen and reigning over our lives to save us, to sustain us, to keep us, to guard us and to get us where he wants us to be. No matter the circumstances that you're currently in. No matter the difficulty, no matter the trials you are facing or will face. Christ's resurrection truly is our hope. In life and death, isn't it? Because we know he will not lose us. He will indeed raise us up on the last day with him. And we will never, ever leave his comforting and assuring and perfect presence in the life to come. And now. In Christ and through his resurrection, we have gained access to true life, filled with an eternal hope of a glorious inheritance that is given to us by God's good mercy and that seasoned with the joys of knowing he is guarding and keeping us for that day to be with him forever. What reason we have for an eternal hope. And so when Christians, when we endure trials and are tempted to live as ones who have no hope and our responses are ruled by dread or fear or anxiety, doubt, maybe even anger. Why is this happening to me, God? Why would you do this? In those moments, We are tempted. We are tempted to forget that Jesus is risen and reigning. Jesus is alive. And if I if he's alive and by faith I've trusted in him, then I I belong to him. And he is good towards me. And he keeps me and he guards me in every circumstance I encounter until the day I am home in heaven with him. In those moments, we are tempted to have what one Christian writer calls resurrection amnesia. Jesus is alive, but I'm living like he's still dead. I have resurrection amnesia. I have forgotten the good that I belong to a risen and reigning Savior, that he's real and he's with me and he cares for me and he's good towards me and what that means for my life in the future, but also in the present day. For the Christian encountering the trials of life, which at some point will be all of us, Christ's resurrection has not only secured us an eternal hope, but then Peter goes on, but an enduring joy in the midst of life's trials. That's what we see in verses six through nine. Our enduring joy through Christ's resurrection. Peter says in verse six, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. These wonderful and glorious trials And eternal truths of verses 3 through 5 that have given us this eternal hope is what the Christian is to build their joy upon in the midst of the trials of life. It's this enduring joy resting upon this eternal hope given to us through Christ's resurrection. It's not a promise. And hear this, precious saints, because I think sometimes we can think this way. I know so many of you in this room would, would say, man, we, we renounce the prosperity gospel, but so many of us, we can live with echoes of that in our hearts because it's tied to our westernized culture, that everything must work out in a sense the way I want it to work out in you know, what I what I deem as good, and if I just come to Jesus, then He will give me what I want: a life pain-free. Right? Isn't that what prosperity movement says? How many times do we actually live sometimes that way? I thought coming to you Jesus meant I didn't have to go through pain. It's not a promise of joy because Jesus will never allow you to go through hard things. It's not a promise of joy because you will never get sick. It's not a promise of joy because you will always avoid pain. It's an enduring joy in the midst of your trials. A joy that is somehow present in the midst of sorrow. A joy that is confident, is a confident gladness in God in the midst of grieving the pain of a sin-broken world. There's real grief. A joy that is an uplifting of your heart that is resting in the goodness of God towards you, both in your future inheritance and in your present trouble. It is a joy that is supernatural, heavenly, and glorious. The resurrection reminds your heart that that you have a risen and reigning Savior and Shepherd whom you belong to. And because of that, there are so many reasons for enduring joy. Because you belong to him, your risen and reigning Savior and Shepherd is overseeing every single minute of your life, even in the trials. And he is working to display his glory in you and through you. Because you belong to him, your risen and reigning savior and shepherd is tending to your good in the midst of every trial because he loves you. He will not lose you. You are not hidden from him. He is faithfully guarding your soul, keeping you near. Nothing is or can separate you from his love. I hope you're just hearing verses come out. Romans 8, Hebrews 3. And four. Psalm 23. Nothing is or can separate you from his love. And so nothing is or can keep you from his purposes of good. And because you belong to him, there is provision from his nail scarred hands to your battle weary heart of an eternal hope and an enduring joy in the midst of your trials, knowing that your risen and reigning savior, whom you belong to is still keeping his word to do good to you and to glorify himself through you. And so then Peter says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, in this you rejoice. We will experience trials. We cannot hide from them. We cannot avoid them as much as we may try. We will most likely grieve in the midst of trials. And I love that, how the word even recognizes that. We will grieve in the midst of trials, but take heart because your Savior is still doing good towards you in the midst of the trial. And his promises of an eternal inheritance for you are still true. And know that in comparison to that eternal inheritance, Peter encourages our hearts that this present and various grievous trials that we experience are only for a little while. The world is terrified of trials, aren't they? The world is terrified of trials everybody working to not go through trials, but they come. For the Christian, Resurrection Sunday is this glorious reminder that we don't have to share in the fears of the world anymore. We don't have to live in the worry and dread of what may come to us. And so we don't have to live in the anxious toil of dreading or avoiding things ahead. We, we try to live wisely. We don't seek out trouble, right? But we can freely give ourselves over to living as God has called us to live, in the gospel going forth, in the fellowship of the saints, and in the joy of his salvation, because Jesus lives. And he reigns and rules over my life and my present trials. We can give ourselves to what he calls us to go forth in the gospel, which is trouble can be troublesome at times in itself. Right. It can be hard at times to go forth in the gospel. You can be ridiculed and and persecuted and shunned and all sorts of things, disowned. For the sake of the gospel, you could be killed for the sake of the gospel. But because we are no longer the resurrection frees us from living in the fear of this world, we can go freely and gladly and joyfully knowing what's ahead of us and knowing there is one who is guarding and keeping me every step of the way and with me and tending to me as the good shepherd that he is. And so we can go and we can enter into fellowship. Fellowship can be hard at times, can't it? It can be troublesome and difficult, but we can, be, we can, because of Christ risen and reigning, we can fearlessly enter into fellowship with one another, knowing that he's paid for each and every sin that we may encounter, knowing that he is upholding and sustaining the very brother and sister sitting right next to you, including yourself. And so we can enter into what he calls us to, Precious Saints, that we know and we know that my risen and reigning Savior and Shepherd is choosing to lead me and with me. And then as we may enter into a valley at that point that we know, okay, my my shepherd may be leading me into this valley. He doesn't promise me to lead me around the valleys. He says that in the valley he's leading me and he's with me. And now I'm I'm readying my mind. Okay, so he's good, he's risen and reigning, and now he's with me, and he's still he's always working good. We know that, that's in the word. He's always working good. So now as he takes my hand as his little precious sheep and he leads me through a valley, I can know something for certain. He intends good even in the valley for me. He intends good. We may need other precious saints to help us see it sometimes. But he still intends good, whether I see it or not. Precious saints, I, I don't always want to talk about my struggles. I, I try to be open with you. We're a family in Christ. But you know, there are times in my health, I have, it's been up and down. And even this week, two days, just, man, major fatigue and just just down. And there was a point, I remember just walking with Rob, Pastor Rob, and we were walking at the park. We just got together. It was in the midst of very hard times, just health-wise. And we're walking, and I even feel like I can barely walk, and we're just walking slowly. I'm even having to tell him, Rob, slow down a little bit. I remember this moment. I just had to say, brother, help me see the good of what God is doing right now. I know he's doing it. I'm having trouble seeing it. Help me see it, brother." And he began to help me just rehearse the good of what God is doing in the midst of my trial. So sometimes we may need help seeing it, but God is always doing good in the midst of it. We can have that confident assurance because he's risen and reigning. He loves you. And if you belong to him, he's tending to you like his precious little sheep. In fact, Peter says this very thing in verse 7. Verse seven, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The trials Peter's declaring actually serves a purpose in the hands of our God to refine the genuineness of our faith. Like fire refines gold, the intention of fire. And hear this, because sometimes we can hear that. Sometimes, just over the Christian life, my Christian life, sometimes you can hear that verse quoted, but it's, it, it's so uncaring, right? Hey, just know, like fire, God is burning that out of you. These saints are grieving. Peter's not saying it with that tone. He's coming alongside and lifting their eyes and saying, let me show show you, you feel that in the midst of your trial, you are alone and it is pointless and it's just the fruit of the fall and there is no good. Let me remind you, there is a sovereign God holding you and with you and he turns bad things into wonderfully beautiful things. Let me remind you that he's working good in the midst of this. That's meant to encourage the Christian's heart. It's meant to work in our hearts. I think in this way, fire refines gold, but the intention of the fire and the one who puts the the, the gold in the fire is never to destroy or harm or tarnish the gold, is it? Never to destroy it, to purify so as to beautify the, gold. the end goal is always in the end to beautify so that the gold in its purest form will shine brightly for all to see. So that others think about it as someone wears a trinket or something and they walk by. Oh, wow, that's beautiful. You know how it got beautiful. You know how it got to that point through fire. Precious saints, so it is in the hands of a sovereign and good God in the trials of his people. Beautifying, purifying to beautify. I don't even know if that's a word. (laughs) We'll make it a word to beautify the Lord doing beautiful things, bringing to life, making a genuine and beautiful faith that shines brightly. So that on that day, when we see Jesus face to face and once for all the result of our proven and refined, beautifully genuine faith that has actually been brought about through trials would first lead to the praise and glory and honor of Christ himself. And then the way this is written, and I think according to other scripture passages in 1 Peter and 1 Corinthians and First and 2 Thessalonians, and then... As Christ is exalted through this genuinely beautiful faith that's been purified through fire, then he turns with congratulatory praise and an unfading crown of glory and honor for his people. Praise God. Glory, honor, and praise awaits as we endure really hard trials today. In verse 8, it's almost as if Peter turns. We close down. Peter turns to encourage the hearts of these weary saints one last time in these verses by highlighting it's not just this future joy that's made visible by our salvation, by the risen and reigning Lord Jesus as he works in our hearts. It's not just a future joy, right? It's a joy that's enduring the present day trials but it's also, it's also a joy here that, is, that has an aim. It has an aim here. Notice the, the, the joy. Uh, let's just read it. Look at verse 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. What is the aim of the present day joy? Seasoned with the future joy of our salvation. Jesus himself. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The present day Evidence of our faith that is infused with an eternal hope in the midst of our trials is that though we have not seen our risen and reigning Savior, we love Him. And though we do not now see Him, we believe in Him. And though now we may grieve at times, our lives are marked by an aroma of joy in Jesus, a joy that is supernatural. Peter says, inexpressible. You can't even describe it. How do pastors preach on this kind of joy? You can't even describe it. This joy that's supernatural, inexpressible, radiating with heavenly hope drenched with the glory of God and filled with a love for Jesus. That is the Christian's joy today. When Christ's people take heart and rejoice in their coming salvation and their present day eternal hope and their glorious and good Savior in the midst of our great grief and trials, saints, you know, it is like this. This is what hit me as I'm reading over this. It's like this. It is as if heaven is bursting forth for all the world to see. It's a joy seasoned with the glory of God himself. It is made. It is evidence for those who are filled with the eternal life of Christ made visible as you suffer well. And I will say this, because even as I look out right now, even as I look at your faces, <laughs> there are ways that I, there's been a moment, even as I've been preaching, like, who am I to even say these things, Lord? I have grown in suffering better because I have seen so many of you suffer well. And that, according to the word, is evidence of a true and genuine faith within you. I've seen you suffer and struggle and go through trials. And yet in even tears, even in the midst of your grieving, I have heard and felt and been in the presence of heaven bursting forth with the aroma of the love of Christ flowing out of your life and a joy that transcends beyond your experiences. I have learned to suffer better by watching you suffer well, precious saints. And may that be so for each of us. As I watch you, oh, by God's grace, may, may my joy in Christ be full so that as I suffer, as I go through trials, people would say there's an aroma of heavenly joy in his heart. And it makes me grow in suffering better. And it just keeps going. Precious Saints, you are a gift. A gift. A mark of a genuine faith. And a life marked by eternal hope is that in the midst of our present day trials, to put it simply, we love Jesus. We love Jesus. We believe in Jesus. That's us, isn't it? Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. The mark of genuine faith and eternal hope made visible by loving Jesus. And so we rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. Can't explain it. Can't explain how that guy is. Can't explain that type of joy that somehow is present in the midst of great tears. But it's there. And it's supernatural. It's heavenly. And it's glorious joy. Oh, church, on this Resurrection Sunday, though so many of us may be experiencing trials, may you, may I, may we be filled with an enduring joy that's resting upon Our eternal hope rooted and built, weighing itself, resting itself, laying itself upon the resurrection of Jesus. As our Savior lives and rules and reigns over all things, but not just over all things, over every little detail of our lives as we endure trials. May we be filled with this eternal hope, this enduring joy. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with the glory of heaven. Amen. Amen. Stand with me. Stand with me. I think a, a tradition somewhat that we have are making or have made is that as we now enter into singing, before we sing, there is what is called the Heidelberg Catechism. And, Together, we confess truths together. We are a confessional community of faith. So it means we believe similar things and same things together, together and united in our belief of God and who he is and what he's done. We live life together. In light of that, a Heidelberg Catechism or the Heidelberg Catechism was put together in 1563 to help Christians long ago remember these truths and declare them together, Mm. together. So in light of that, precious saints, let's confess this truth together that Christ truly is our hope in life and death. And then let's sing these truths of Christ, our hope in life and death. So let me ask this question of you, precious saints, and then join with me in answering this and we will read it together. What is your comfort in life and in death? And let's read it together. That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Let's sing. Let's sing.